Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, and I'm joined today by Benjamin Ianian, who's an innovation fellow and commentator. Young Voices, Ben, how you doing today? I'm doing well, Nate. Thanks for having me on. Can I call you Ben? I didn't get permission beforehand. Is that okay? Yeah, Ben works okay. just fine. It'd be really awkward if you said no, by the way, so I'm glad you said yes. <laughs> All right. So today we're uh, we're talking and now you, you had this piece and uh, there was just a shooting in Nashville, uh, I guess, last week or the week before now. can't remember exactly when. And I'm in Nashville. Uh, this shooting happened not real far from from where we record. And and you were talking about some of the gun control policies that have been thrown out there. Uh, this was in the American Spectator, I believe. So uh, just give everyone a brief synopsis of what you're talking about. Yeah, so I'm sure, you know, most, if not all of your listeners definitely heard about the school shooting in Nashville. It's really sad. Three children were murdered, um, three adults as well. And there, since that shooting, there have been calls by politicians, different figures in the media um, for an assault weapons ban. That seems to be the biggest uh, wish for gun control advocates at the moment. Kamala Harris just tweeted the other day saying that, you know, we've done it before, we need to do it again. Um, and so the administration seems to be really keen on pushing this idea that we need an assault weapons ban. Um, and there's also a lot of rhetoric out there blaming Republicans um, for the deaths of children. Um, individuals in the administration, have, in the Biden administration have publicly asked um, you know, what do um, or how many more children need to die before Republicans do something, which, you know, insinuates that they are somehow to blame for the death of these children. And I think that this is a really unproductive response to the the tragedy we just witnessed. Now, before we get into some of these policies uh, like assault weapons bans, isn't it just uh, kind of disgusting that we've gotten to this point where when people get murdered, you start blaming people of a specific political party. I mean, th this is going downhill pretty quick, right? Yeah, finger pointing um, is rarely the answer. I mean, I, I can't say it never is because both parties do some rather insane things. And I think they should be um, ridiculed when they do those things. But when there's a major tragedy, something that is so complex, such as gun violence, um, it's really disheartening to see the conversation directly go to, well, the blood of these children are somehow are on the hands of an entire political party. It's pretty difficult to have good faith conversations about how do we prevent tragedies like this? Um, and if we can't completely eradicate them, what can we do to um, decrease their fre frequency or their severity if they do um, occur? But those conversations aren't going to be had if, if half if half of the debate is yelling the blood is on your hands it's your fault there's there's really not a whole lot of dialogue to be had past that once we get past things like that and you start talking about actual policy proposals uh it seems like when you bring the data in people aren't particularly interested in that they just want to do something this person used to uh, assault style weapons, whatever that means these days. Uh, we know that they were they were rifles. Uh, when you look at the data, 
and you look at the previous assault weapons ban, even the government itself kind of concluded that they, they couldn't show that the assault weapons ban reduced mass shootings. Yeah, the, the, the uh, Department of Justice funded a study um, after the 1994 to 2004 assault weapons ban and basically you know, said that they could not um, show that this had any type of effect on gun violence. And if it did, it's likely to be so small that it's immeasurable. Um, and when you have different sites like a left wing site like like Vox or even uh, the New York Times admitting that an assault weapons ban that, that the studies on assault weapons bans really range from inconclusive to ineffective. Um, it's you know really odd to see people on the left continue to push this idea of an assault weapons ban. Now, I think that that comes mostly from um, a top down um, sort of dynamic where politicians want to look like they're doing something. And most voters, I would say, aren't probably aren't particularly um, knowledgeable about the ins and outs of guns and all the uh, statistics regarding gun violence. And so if you can have general support for an idea of banning assault weapons, if people don't really know what that means, what it entails, what the effect would be, um, it's good for Democrats to stand up on their soapbox and say, we need to ban assault rifles, even if it's not actually going to save lives. There are so many directions we can go with this, like, okay, let's say we were going to have an assault weapons ban. And I just want to preface this with saying, I don't particularly like talking about my right to defend myself as if it is up for debate in the first place. I don't really even like going down that road, because if we talk about whether or not it could save lives or it couldn't, that means that my rights would be determined by people that do bad things with those rights. So I don't I don't really like going down that. But let's entertain the notion for a minute uh, because it is what everyone's talking about. Uh, first off, it, the first one didn't really do anything. It ended and people seem to think, well, it ended too quickly. They should have kept it going. But in our system of government, this is something people don't really mention. In our system of government, it is always going to change. They could put an assault weapons ban in place. And 10 years later, someone else is going to be in control of the government and they'll end up taking it away again. And then people will say, well, uh, it didn't work because they took it away too quickly. And then we'll just keep going back and forth in that cycle. And we'll never talk about the real problem, which is bad people doing bad things. Yeah, it's definitely a bit of a cop out to say that it wasn't in place long enough. I'd also, you know, you, you could say it was, it was poorly drafted. It, it didn't actually, you know, get rid of assault weapons like it intended. Like there's there's plenty of different things that people could say for why they think it needs to be tried again or differently. I don't think it would be constitutional. I don't think our right to defend ourselves with rifles is up for debate. I fully agree with you. Um, I just like to attack this topic. Um, from when I'm speaking publicly on it, I, I like to talk about it almost from a utilitarian standpoint of what would its effects be, because that's the arena that people who support it are arguing in. You know, they want to say that this will help. And so the best way to convince them, I think, is to convince them that it won't, um, because I can assert my rights all the time and, and they seem to not care too much that we have a right to bear arms. Um, and so... I definitely agree with you that, um, you know, it is a bit of a cop out to say it wasn't in, in place long enough. And if we implemented one today, you know, Republicans could come in power in just a couple of years. Um, 
and get rid of it again. And so we're not really at that point looking at long standing or, or solutions that will be long standing and solutions that will ultimately have bipartisan support over time. And so that's just another reason why, to some degree, they're wasting their breath trying to enact this policy. The other thing that gets uh, really complicated is when you look at the data as so many people throwing different types of data out there, like there's been hundreds of mass shootings uh, this year already. If you go to the I'm sorry, let me tell you the website, this this K through 12 school shooting database uh, that I just saw David Hogg tweeting a screenshot from yesterday. They'll tell you that there's been 104 school shootings this year just in 2023. Now I comb through a bunch of them and they they have school shootings that <laughs> included someone was being chased by the police and they crashed near a school. Uh, they were being chased because they had fired shots into the air at one point in time. And then they were chased. They went into the school and that's where the cops eventually apprehended them. And that's down on this list as a school shooting. Or there was a person, a 33-year-old man that was walking down the street uh, firing randomly. He was walking towards a school, and they count that as a school shooting. And it's that's not exactly what people are thinking about when they think about school shootings. Then you can look at things like the violence project or the the uh, the gun violence. I can't remember the other one that, that the, people use. I think it's the gun violence archives. The gun violence archives. And then there's one called the violence project. Well, the violence project will tell you that there's been four mass shootings this year. And the that gun violence archive will tell you there's been 136 or something like that. So the way we count these things is not even consistent. Yeah, the, the, the data, a lot of times, when you look at different data, you're comparing apples to oranges, and it makes it really hard to, to have a, a data-driven discussion um, about the topic. And I think another issue is that when people think of mass shootings, right, what they're actually thinking about is active shooter events. Like, it's a little bit, not it's not dishonest when people want to list, you know, mass shootings and tally those up where, you know, um, I think it's at least three people are are shot, you know, injured or killed, um, not including the gunman, but that, you know, that can change depending on where you're looking. But an active shooter is a little bit different. An active shooter is defined, you know, as where, where one or more shooters is attempting to kill, you know, like multiple unrelated people in a populated place. So an active shooter would count as a school shooting. Um, if someone walked into a Walmart and started firing, that would be um, probably listed as an active shooter event. Um, what we saw in Las Vegas, that's an active shooter event. But so when we're looking at a mass shooting, a lot of the data that you're going to see you know, come under that umbrella is going to be street violence. It's going to be gangs. It's going to be drug related shootings. Um, and so it does, I think, skew uh, the perception of the public when we talk about these mass shootings, but we don't actually define what type of events we're discussing um, because the risk that you have going into school every day or the risk that you have going, you know, into a mall on a random Saturday of being shot is extra, ex extraordinarily low 
Um, but the way we talk about these events, we make them seem like they're a lot more common than they are. And that's not to say they're not a problem. And that's not to say that, you know, we shouldn't do what we can to decrease the frequency of the subset of events that we see occurring now. Um, but we need to be able to have honest conversations about what's actually happening, not just try to play with fear tactics. Now, what about when it comes to the call to ban the, the large capacity magazines? I will say, so have you looked at the RAND Corporation's uh, studies on, on gun violence before? Absolutely. Yeah, so they, they seem to do a pretty good job. I saw the one that they published in January, I believe, this year. And they did say that there was limited evidence that a ban on large capacity magazines could reduce mass shootings. They said that they couldn't find evidence of the assault weapons ban, but limited evidence uh, for large capacity magazines. I don't think it's really, uh, in my opinion, that easy. I don't think people, I was going to say normal people, but I don't think people who don't fire guns often realize how quickly you can change out a magazine if you if you run out. Like it's not it's not that hard to do. I believe you mentioned in your piece the Virginia Tech shooting, uh, which how many magazines did that person bring for the handguns? Um, yeah, if I remember correctly, he had seventeen magazines for his handguns, and most of those held ten rounds, which obviously would not be considered a, any by any means large capacity. Yeah, and that um, was uh, thirty-two people killed. shooters as well. Yeah, that's right. And I saw I see 32 people killed and that was handguns with 17 magazines. We've done videos. I mean, we've been doing the podcast for several years now. I've done videos live where I switched out the magazine on my gun just to show how quickly you can actually do it. Um, to me, that's just uh, that's something for people who don't have a lot of experience with changing out the magazines on guns, in my opinion. So uh, what could we actually what do you think we could actually do to solve this problem. I'll tell you here in Tennessee, uh, the governor just signed an executive order and they're looking at high risk protection orders, red flag laws, although they don't want to call them that. And they specifically said they don't want to call them that, even though that's what they are. And then uh, working on the background check system, making it more extensive and uh, I believe updating the information on your background check uh, quicker is one of the things they're supposed to work towards. Uh, what about things like that or, or are we just wasting time here i mean personally i don't like red flag laws because i think that they violate your constitutional right to due process i don't think that you should have your property taken away from you if you have not committed a crime um and so i that is a one of many points of objections that i have to red flag laws um in terms of things like updating your uh background checks you know uh updating the system more quickly i mean Sure, I, I don't think there's a lot of people that would disagree with that. Even you know, ardent Second Amendment defenders like myself um, and you, I, I really doubt that uh, that would be a huge point of contention. But I also don't see it being super effective. I mean, in in stopping these crimes, um, people who commit heinous crimes are often able to um, obtain their guns legally. Um, many do obtain them illegally as well, but. I don't think that if our goal is to stop um, these sorts of events from occurring, which should be the goal, I don't think that these are the right approaches. I, at the end of the day, it's really hard to stop motivated people from obtaining goods that they desire, um, especially when there is a legitimate supply of those goods. 
and there's adequate demand. Like there's going to be a market for it, whether it is on the up and up or if it's below the table. I mean, the war on drugs hasn't worked out very well. Um, pro in prohibition times, per capita consumption of hard liquor actually went up. Um, despite the government's attempts to poison liquor to, to scare people from drinking. And so I don't think that um, any draconian measures of trying to outlaw guns or ban guns or, or make it um, extraordinarily difficult to obtain a gun would really make a difference. And so I think that the best that we can do right now um, in terms of stopping things like school shootings or um, even you know, active shooter events out in public places, the two things we can do is one with schools, we need to bolster security. Um, I think every school needs to have armed security. They can reduce the points of entry into their school um, so that if there is a threat, um, you can really, you you can, you know what spot in on your property you're probably gonna have to deal with it at. Um, so I think that those are two things that you can do with schools. And then in general, I, um, personally favor constitutional carry. Um, it, I think 26 states have it now, uh, which includes states like Maine and Vermont. It's not just a deep red state um, value. Um, I'm, I'm not commenting on whether or not I think it's the only legal way to approach gun ownership. The Supreme Court doesn't seem to believe it is. But I think that if we're talking about general public safety, having good guys carrying guns makes us safer because the bad guys are going to carry them regardless. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. While we're always growing and changing, so getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process. One thing I learned is self-awareness. I learned how to understand situations from different points of view. Over time, we learn what our personal boundaries are and what we need to find meaning and happiness in our lives. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. I've used therapy. It can be very beneficial. My life has gotten immensely better since trying it. And Charlie does it too. In fact, he's been a BetterHelp customer for years. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. That's betterhelp.com slash GML today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash GML. Yeah, I think all of those are are really good ways to tackle this problem. It it is it's something everyone says now, but a bad guy with a gun is ultimately stopped by a good guy with a gun. Uh, that's that's typically how these things end. Uh, so I, especially with security in the schools, uh, I'm not sure if you saw, but the the police, the metro police here in Nashville, did say that the shooter considered another target, but did a threat assessment on it and decided that there was too much security. And that was one of the reasons that they didn't go. My speculation, because they had mentioned the mall at one point, was that it was going to be the Green Hills Mall, uh, but that there was going to be security there uh, at the mall and that there wasn't any at the school. And that, to me, is pretty easy to see what you need at these schools. In fact, the week before this shooting happened, there was an attempted shooting at an Oregon school, and they had security basically a security checkpoint going into the school. The security found that the person had a gun. Now, I believe two people at that area did get shot. They did not die, uh, but they stopped something worse from happening. 
by by having the student, I don't know, go through a metal detector or some kind of search. I'm not sure exactly what it was. So, of course, that one didn't make the news. Uh, and then we have what I believe the bigger problem is, uh, is that I was going to, I could say mental health. That's a very difficult problem to take care of. I also think a lot of the division that we have in this country is leading to uh, a lot of nihilism in people, a lot more mental health problems. And somehow we've got to stop looking at each other as enemies and different groups and this collectivism that we have going on where we see other groups as bad uh, leads to a lot of these shootings, in my opinion. And that's going to be a much harder problem to take on. Yeah. And and first, I want to actually touch on um, what you mentioned with, you know, of of course, that other event didn't make the news. Um, There's an interesting book um, by uh, Daniel Kahneman called Thinking Fast and Slow. And one of uh, the principles that he has in that book, um, it's an acronym, but it stands for what you see is all there is. And a lot of times we make judgments based off of the information that is readily available to us and we don't actually consider what we might not be seeing. And I think that that's super relevant when you're talking about things like mass shootings and gun violence because the media definitely focus on certain types of instances way more than others. And um, and I think that that can affect public opinion and perception in a negative way. Um, and then what you said about um, about our ability to focus on the other facets of this issue, because there's plenty of different things that go into the the issue of gun violence that we're seeing today. And mental health problems are a huge um, part of that. I mean, you don't go and shoot a bunch of people unless there is something wrong um, with your psychic or psychology in that moment. And so that definitely is um, a, a much more difficult issue to tackle. I don't think that the calls to ban uh, transgender individuals from owning guns following this um, is the right approach. I think that they're, I, I, I'm, I'm fine going on record and saying this, I do think that transgenderism is a mental health issue. Um, there's plenty of different things that could be causing that. Um, and I think that the the approach from the right to transgenderism has not been the right approach at all. It lacks empathy. Um, it I think it lacks a lot of character. I mean, these are human beings that are dealing with a very significant issue. I'm not talking about the shooter. I'm just talking about the transgender community as a whole. And um, But the problem with the calls to ban transgender individuals from owning firearms is it's not well accepted right now in society that that is a mental health problem. Um, And so you really do open up a Pandora's box and, okay, what else are we going to consider a mental health problem? Um, And if you do bar people from um, owning arms based on mental health problems, where do you draw the line? I mean, how many people today have anxiety? How many people today have depression? How many people have attention deficit disorder? Like those are all psychological issues. I don't know if they should necessarily disqualify someone from being able to protect themselves. Um, And so I think that even considering that transgenderism is a mental health problem, and I think those individuals who struggle with it deserve the utmost empathy, care, and respect, and I wish them well and hope they get treatment and get better. I don't think that 
that trying to bar transgender individuals from owning guns is the right response. I don't think it would stop these shootings either. I don't think being transgender had anything to do um, per se from a psychological makeup standpoint um, to do with why this person carried out that shooting. So I, I don't think that that's the right response either. Well, no, there's a difference in saying that something is a mental health problem, which is it's strange that it's difficult to say that these days because a few years ago it was easy to say this legitimately is a mental health problem, you know, recognized by medical professionals. Um, there's a difference in saying that there's a mental health problem and saying that that person has a predisposition to violence against other people. Uh, that's right. that's not what that means. And so if you're to say anyone with a mental health problem, well, you shouldn't be able to have guns. Like you said, the people on the right who made these arguments like Ben Shapiro and other people I saw uh, on the right making these arguments. Well, like you said, what else? Uh, is it anxiety? Is it depression? Is it ADHD? Things like that. Likewise, people on the left need to realize that when they say that there should be red flag laws for people who have mental health problems and you should be able to take guns, that eventually people on the right could take that all the way down to people that are transgender. And they need to realize that that is a slippery slope towards uh, towards that as well. Both sides need to realize that that is a very dangerous slippery slope. Uh, so I'm glad that you brought that up. I we we called that out on our dumb bleep of the week episode where we we make fun of dumb things that people say and the people on the right calling to take guns away from transgender. And that's also a collectivist ideology, which we're not supposed to have. That's lumping everyone in there together and saying that they're all going to be violent and taking away everyone's rights based on this one part of who they are as a person, uh, which is something we're all supposed to be against. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think it, it is a little bit absurd um, that it was the reaction to this shooting, especially given that, I mean, when was the last time there was a publicized shooting where a transgender individual carried it out? Like collectivism is is already, you know, not a good way to, to it's not a good lens to look at the issues of the world through. But it's even more bizarre in this case, because I can't remember another publicized shooting where, you know, a big part of the public discussion was that it was a transgender individual who carried it out. And so now all of a sudden the right is thinking, um, well, it happened one time. That must be a big problem. We need to get rid of it. I think it is completely illogical. Um, and I hope I hope that transgender individuals do protect themselves with firearms. I hope everyone is open to buying firearms and protecting themselves um, from threats around them and especially from their government. The Republican Party, the more you know, you really start to get into politics, um, you'll see that the Republican Party does not really defend individual rights um, very well at all. They will point out when the left is threatening to infringe upon um, individual rights. But when it comes time for the, the Republicans to make a statement, they will make an argument that goes down that same slippery slope like you pointed out um with trying to to ban an entire identity from owning firearms um it, it it's really it really is dangerous um because we need firearms to have that final check on government power anyone who has read any bit of history uh knows that disarming the public is one of the first steps a tyrant takes when trying to amass control over a population. And so um, I do think that 
the Republican Party, who's supposedly the party that uh, supports the Second Amendment, needs to do a much better job of actually thinking through their stances before they make these statements publicly. Yeah, the, the last thing I wanted to add on there is that we need to do a better job defending why we have the Second Amendment. Like you just said, it's supposed to be a check on the government. And I think we've been, uh, maybe it's because uh, the intelligence community has made it too difficult for us to say things like this because we could be domestic terrorists or something like that. Uh, it's supposed to be a check on the government. Sure, we're also supposed to have it to defend ourselves, to defend our homes and protect our family. But ultimately, this is in the Second Amendment because everyone knew that that was the way that you stopped the government from becoming tyrannical. And in my opinion, we need to be unapologetic in defending that as the reason that we have the Second Amendment, because stepping back and saying, well, no, I need to pre protect my family. Well, then people get to make the argument, well, you don't need this assault. You don't need this AR-15 to protect yourself against the home. And sure, it might be easier to use or whatever, but a handgun's just fine. And that's where you open this up for discussion. If you talk about, no, this is why we have it. It is so we can fight against the government if we have to. Well, then absolutely we need as good of uh, as good of armory as they have, I guess, except for nukes. I'm not in favor of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we probably shouldn't have nukes. I agree with you on that one. Um, yeah, I actually wrote a piece in the American Spectator following the Uvalde school shooting about the Democrats in the House proposing um, a gun control bill that um, ultimately was never signed into law um, or passed in the Senate. But um, but in that piece, I did also make clear um, why we need the Second Amendment. And I think that that is important for people who want to defend the right to bear arms. We should make the say, okay, here's why we need the Second Amendment. Let's look at history. George Mason said the most effective way to enslave people is to disarm them. Um, we look at, you know, look at our, I'm Armenian. Just look in the early 20th century. Armenians were disarmed um, in the carrying out of the Armenian genocide. The Jews in Germany were disarmed before the Holocaust. Like the list just goes on and on and on about how many atrocities occurred as a result of disarming people who, who ended up needing them to defend themselves. Um, and then once we establish that, then I think it is important to go into the arguments as to why certain gun control measures don't work and add along the way it also hampers our right to self-defense it hampers our ability to be that last check on the government but we we definitely need to convince people on the other side that the policies they're advocating for are not conducive to achieving the ends that they seek and so it, it's a balancing act of making sure we're making the case as to why we need the second amendment from a liberty standpoint, and then also making the case as to why gun control measures don't work. Both arguments are important and both serve a different purpose. And when I think it comes to convincing the other side, I, I do unfortunately think we need to start with, okay, here's why uh, we need it, but I don't think we should focus on that too much until we've convinced them. Um, if you're talking to someone, you have to convince them that their position will not work. And then I think it's proper to move forward into, OK, here's why we really need it for all of our liberty. 
Right, right. Because if you don't do that, you're just going to be talking past each other and and not really having a conversation um, at all. So I, I totally agree with that. Well, um, uh, Ben, why don't you tell everyone where they can go to follow everything you're working on? Yeah, if you guys want to keep up with uh, my work, please follow me at Benjamin Iyanian at oh, that's on Twitter. And then on Instagram, you can follow me at Biyanian13. Um, I post all of my great conversations like this one and my articles on both of those sites. So please give me a follow. All right, great. Those links will be in the show notes for everyone listening right now. Ben, thank you so much for your time today and we'd love to have you back. Thanks for having me on.